Isn't it a blessing to have Cindy with us? You know, uh, I don't know how many of you realize how important this woman is in the work she's doing. Whenever I meet anyone working in that part of the world and I ask, do you know Dr. Cindy Perry? And, oh, do you know Dr. Perry? You know, and suddenly your stock rises. (laughs) So uh, really an honor to have this woman with us today. Now, there are various things I'm thankful for this morning. One thing, I'm thankful the worship team's back. (laughs) We've, uh, you know, have folks traveling all over the country, and last Sunday, worship team, worship team leaders were all gone. We're sure glad you're back, Hal. (laughs) I'll tell you, last Sunday, I found that leading 30 minutes of singing at 79 is a lot different than leading 30 minutes of singing when you're 50. If we'd had to sing one more song, somebody else would have had to done it. <laughs> what a blessing. You know, preaching at TCF is different than a lot of places. Here's how it happens. You're sitting at home working on your computer for something or else. You get a phone call from Bill Sullivan. And Bill says, uh, well, I'm working on the preaching schedule. Uh, how about June 13 for you? And so you say, Okay. And then you start to pray. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray. Oh God, what do you want me to say on June the 13th? It's always that way. And uh, the prayer gets passionate, uh, pleading, crying out. And that's the way, of course, it was this time. And after many days of prayer, God had not spoken a thing to my heart. And I went to bed Tuesday night, falling asleep. Oh God. What am I supposed to say next Sunday? I was awakened between 3 and 3.30 in the morning, wide awake, and suddenly there flooded through my mind just a flurry of thoughts, all consistent. And with that, that passage in Hebrews, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then this thought, Talk about the past. Talk about the present. Talk about the future. I looked in the Bible at Hebrews 13, 8, in that passage, Jesus is the same yesterday, yes, and forever. And I began to read that passage. It's interesting in this context, we have just a, a plethora of exhortations. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Remember the prisoners. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let your character be free of the love of money. Remember those who led you, those who spoke the word of God to you. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. And on and on. And yet thrust right in the middle of that is this statement, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and you step back and say, what? Hear all these exhortations and it's as if the author just suddenly decided to throw that statement in. Disconnected with all the rest of that passage. But I thought, surely that can't be true. (laughs) And so as I read and read and meditated and meditated, it became apparent to me that every exhortation in this passage stated something that the recipients of the letter already knew, including 
the elaboration that accompanied the exhortations. And the point being made by inserting that statement here was this. From the past, from the present, and into the future, God's standards, God's agenda, God's character, God's purposes are unchanged. And each exhortation declaring some well-known truth or principle was an affirmation of God's unchanging character. Something to think about, isn't it? And then it's interesting, the very next page, as I flip my Bible, the very next page, James begins, and in James 1.17, Every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shifting shadow. And so even though there are different manifestations of God throughout the history of the human race, even though there is progressive revelation of who God is, even though God has dealt with us in different ways, He is consistent, He is unchanging. And so as Cindy was talking today about the kingdom of God being present today, it is. And as citizens of the kingdom... We need to remember the past. We need to embrace the future. And we need to fully live in the present. This morning I want to spend a few moments just discussing the past, the present, and fully living in the present in the light of the future. The first verse that came to my mind as I began to think about the past was Romans 15.4. Whatsoever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Another one that came to mind was Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. And it's interesting that the verse that immediately preceded this statement about the eternal nature of Jesus is this exhortation. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct imitate their faith. In children's church, we tell the stories of Adam and Eve and Noah. We tell the story of Joseph and Peter and Paul. Because in each of these stories, the things of the past are those truths that are relevant that God wants us to remember. I did an interesting thing. I I did a tally in Scripture, and if my tally is correct, there are 168 exhortations in Scripture to remember. God obviously wants us to remember the past. On a secular basis, considering just the world itself, remember the aphorism from George Satyana who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Something to think about, isn't it? As an aside, as we were studying the first four centuries of the church, January and February in our Sunday night seminar, and you who are in that class remember we also spent time studying the Roman Empire and how it related to the church. And it struck me that as we came to a certain point during the reign of Diocletian, the Roman government faced almost exactly the same problems 
that America has faced the last decade. And the Roman government began to implement programs trying to solve that, which are almost exactly the same things that are being implemented in America today. And they failed. We need to remember the past so we're not condemned to repeat it. Immediately recall the words of Ecclesiastes 1.9 that says, That which has been is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. We need to remember. Of course, there's nothing more important in the past than the incarnational work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the descent of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we need also to remember the past on a personal level. We look around today and we're kind of a bunch of respectable people, more or less. But you know, there's a whole bunch of us, and perhaps all of us, can look to the past and remember a day when that wasn't true. Just wasn't true at all. There's the song, Remind Me, Dear Lord, Show Me Where You Brought Me From and Where I Might Have Been. (laughs) Oh, how thankful we are for the fact that God intersected our past and brought us to Jesus Christ. David cried, O Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth. And you know, think about this. As you think about your life, all of us can look back to those times when God intervened in a special way to provide for us. Let me tell you a little bit something in my own life. I was born October 5th, 1930. The day I was born, my uncle and my aunt showed up at the hospital and made a very interesting request of my parents. My aunt, in order to save her life, had undergone a radical hysterectomy sometime in the 1920s in a surgery. That surgery in those days was far different than now. But they could have no children. And so the day I was born, they came to the hospital and said to my parents, since we can have no children, would you share your children with us? I have no idea how the contract worked out. But I grew up with two sets of parents, an uncle and an aunt, and my mother and my father. When my father was, well, I was probably about five or six years old, my father was building a bathroom upstairs for my grandmother. And after he had carried a cast iron bathtub on his back up the stairs, he had a heart attack. As a boy, he had scarlet fever and had a valve damaged, and finally it gave way. And in those days, when that happened, they put you to bed. He went to Mayo's Clinic, other places. For a solid year, he was in bed, and they said you have a maximum of five years to live. He actually lived 20, but <laughs> that time they said five. So for a year, at least, my father could not work, and there would have been no income had it not been for my uncle and my aunt. I never missed a meal. Every year when it's time to start to go to school, they bought school clothes. 
bought shoes. God took care of me. What if my aunt had not had the hysterectomy? What if my father didn't have a sister with the kind of heart that she had to take on our family? Let me tell you, there's some of you who have a similar story because I know your stories. There's some of you in this building who if it hadn't been for a grandmother or a grandfather, who knows what would have happened to you. You would have been on the street. For some of you, an uncle and aunt. I know of one case where it was just a friend that took in a child because the parents had failed. God's goodness. I only tell my story because I want you to think about yours. Some of you came from solid families. Oh, thank God for that. Some of you came from other situations. But look at your past and see how God has never been asleep. He has always had his hand on you and has always cared for you as he has for me. God says, remember and give thanksgiving through all the history of the world through all of our personal history, there's been an unchanging God manifesting himself in big ways, small ways, and you know, usually unnoticed because his ways of doing it often are not obvious, but he's there. Now the opposite end of that spectrum, of course, is the future, the forever We're like Abraham, of whom the writer of the Hebrews said he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's the city we're looking for, isn't it? 2 Timothy 4.8, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but every member of Tulsa Christian Fellowship who is loved as appearing. Modern version. Colossians 1.5 Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. It's not a beautiful thing to think about as we embrace the future. Even though we're earthbound creatures, Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20, which the Greek there literally says our commonwealth is in heaven. This passage has always been such a blessing to me. Hebrews 12.22, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come. We're there now. The kingdom is now, as Cindy was saying. You have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. It's now... (laughs) but we will know it fully in the future. This world is not my home. 
I'm just a passing through. <laughs> and my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me through heaven's open door and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Don't we feel that way often? Oh God, we long for heaven. Now think with me just a few moments concerning how the past and the future relate to our present lives. Every generation has the responsibility of passing off to the next generation the truths as well as the knowledge and the cumulative experience that we've had in Christ Jesus. Paul called these traditions, 1 Corinthians 11.2, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Of course, he's talking about the gospel and the way we're to live in Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 2 Timothy 2.1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to to teach others also. We have the responsibility to pass on to the next generation these marvelous truths and revelations that we have in Christ Jesus. This echoes what Moses said to the people of Israel after the exodus, after they'd wandered through the wilderness and he was getting ready to die and the people were gathered together and he delivered his valedictory address. Deuteronomy 4.9 Only give heed to yourself and your soul diligently, so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, and then this, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. The responsibility to be aware of ourselves, our walk with God, but to pass it on to the next generations. But now let me say this. Awareness of the past, inappropriately awareness, can interfere with our life in the present. Interesting, in Ezra chapter 3 and Haggai 2, they, both of these passages describe the scene when the Jewish exiles had returned from Babylon, and under the leadership of Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, others, they had rebuilt Jerusalem, and now they had, for the second time, built the temple. It followed the, the pattern that God had given exactly, but it didn't have the glory of Solomon's temple, but it was finished, and they were dedicating, and the people were shouting for joy. But at the same time, there are a bunch of people bawling as loud as those who were shouting for joy, <laughs> to the point that Ezra said, you can't tell which is which. <laughs> because they're so loud. And as you read Ezra and Haggai, they say, here's the situation. There are a bunch of people who were 80 and 90 and perhaps 100 years old who remembered the first temple. 
And they looked at this temple instead of being full of joy that they now had this place that they could worship God according to the way that he commanded. They thought about the good old days. (laughs) And they denigrated this temple because it was not like it had been in the past. You know, there's so many people my age and some a little younger (laughs) that I meet that all they can ever talk about is the past. And some of them, thank God, are some good today, but some aren't. (laughs) All they can do is talk about the past instead of rejoicing for the wonderful goodness of God's presence today. We must not let the past rob us of the present. There are other people who are haunted by the past. The sins of their youth are just so huge to them. I want to talk about that for a few minutes. If any of you are in that place today, let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19. This is one of the most beautiful passages in all of God's Word. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Get that? Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin in our behalf uh, to become sin so that, we might be, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Notice what that says. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, you and I can become as sinless as Christ. It's an astounding thought, isn't it? An astounding thought. How often I have talked to someone who is so aware of their sins or their past. I remember one person I talked to not long ago, God can never forgive me, as he began to recite some criminal acts he had done. done. God can never forgive me. How many times we meet people who say, well, I want to come to Christ, but And that but is followed by a bunch of things they need to do to get their life cleaned up first. I remember talking to one person who said, well, I'd like to go to church, but I don't want to go to church because I feel like I'm a hypocrite because, you know, I'm a sinner. Oh, I tell you, you're the exact person that ought to be here. (laughs) You know, that kind of thinking is as silly is somebody who says, I have a bunch of dirty clothes I need to take to the laundry, but before I take them, I need to get them cleaned up. That's how silly that is, you know. (laughs) Jesus says, come as you are. Don't get cleaned up first. That's my job. (laughs) We sing the song, Just As I Am, without one plea, And the only plea is, thy blood was shed for me. And as you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. 
That's the heart. That's the spirit. When Jesus met the woman who had been captured in adultery, he didn't say, go straighten out your life and come back and I'll forgive you. (laughs) Neither do I condemn you, but go thou and sin no more. You see, the important thing is, regardless of who we are, how bad we might be, how glaring our sins might be, to come to Jesus. We have to want our lives to be cleaned up, but it starts with forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes when we come without any plea at all to accept the work that Jesus has done and become, therefore, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when we come and we're immersed into Christ and we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, from the inside out, a work begins and we cooperate. Now, let me say this morning, if you're addicted to alcohol and you come to Jesus, very rarely, but sometimes, God delivers you instantly, but most of the time, not so. Today, if you're addicted to drugs, we can tell stories of some whom God delivered immediately, but for most people, it wasn't so. We could tell you of someone who's a habitual liar, and as soon as they come to God, they become as honest as Abe Lincoln. (laughs) But for most people, it doesn't work that way. Maybe you're one who's driven by lust, and we can talk about people who came to Jesus Christ, and just like that, their whole intellectual, sexual posture changed. But with most people, it doesn't happen that way. The way it usually happens is when we come to Jesus Christ and we say, God, there's nothing in my hand I bring but simply to thy cross I cling, we receive forgiveness. In God's eyes, we become as sinless as Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and God begins to work with us, And through that process, character is developed. (laughs) And that character never would have been developed if deliverance had been instantaneous. God wants not only to deliver us, but to develop our character. But we have to want to get our laundry clean. We have to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I can tell you there were struggles I had in my life years ago I don't have now, and it's not just because I'm older. But it's because the Holy Spirit has done that very, very slow, very incremental work in my life. And I know that you could stand and give 
unanimous testimony to that this morning. At least, I think we probably could. Most of us, at least. How do we receive the grace of God in vain? Paul says that, lest you receive the grace of God in vain. How do you do that? Well, you do that by not believing his grace is sufficient. We have to do something in addition. Instead of just receiving by grace of God salvation and cleansing and holiness in his eyes and beginning the journey with him. This morning, if you're someone who is in that place and saying, I'm so evil, let me tell you, you're sitting in a room full of people who understand your journey. And they would love to walk it with you as you increasingly conform to the image of Christ. Sometimes in life, we forget that Jesus said, in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, we have to become like little children. I found my place at time, my situation at times where I've tried and tried and tried. And it's such a blessing to become like a little child. <clears throat> Trying to tie his shoes, he can't. And looks up and says, Daddy, I can't do it. <laughs> Help me. Oh, what a blessed place to be. <laughs> because in fellowship with him, that help comes. He's there. Some people allow the past to destroy them because they spend their days in worry. They worry about the future. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Now let me just, although the clock's moving, I want to say this about the way, one way the future can destroy our present. The future can destroy our present when we are so goal oriented that we do not fully live our life in Christ today. And don't we see that? <laughs> We're so driven, so driven. But scripture is full of describing the abundant blessings God has given us in our lives. That he wants us to receive with gratitude. 1 Timothy 4 talks about those who say that in latter times, he says, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience with branding iron, forbidding marriage, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gracefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You who are married, delight, and relish the conjugal relationship of marriage. God has given that to you, and with thanksgiving, enjoy it. After the service this morning, we're going to go eat. <laughs> now, gluttony is a sin, but enjoyment of food isn't. <laughs> That's what Paul's talking about. Put that bite of food in your mouth, let it rest on your tongues, and the taste buds dance and say, oh, thank you, God. That's the way God wants us to live. 
and just appreciate the wonderful beauty that's around us. You know, I'm not an artist. I can't paint. I can't draw. But if I could, you know one picture I would love to draw? It's a picture we see every Sunday here at TCF. Last Sunday as I was sitting over there and it was time for the service to begin, I was watching my watch, but Bill Sullivan was down on his knees <laughs> talking to two little girls. Their eye level. <laughs> Intensely listening to them, looking at them in the eye to eye. Every Sunday I see Bill Sullivan on his knees at eye level with a child. What a beautiful picture. But the clock was ticking. <laughs> Oh, how wonderful it is when we can take time to bask in the gift of love that God has given us for one another, and especially the beauty of our children. How sad it is that so many mothers and fathers are so concerned about rushing ahead and meeting responsibility. They don't have the time do what Bill Sullivan does with the kids in this church. <laughs> to get on their knees, look in their faces, and enjoy that beauty. This life is so brief. Scriptures, of course, remind us of that often. But let me say this this morning. Let us commit ourselves, not just to remember the past, but meditate upon it to fully embrace the future, even the fact the future is present now, let us embrace it. But oh, let us fully live in the present that God gives us together. Father, thank you for the gifts that you have bestowed upon us. I have no idea, Lord, who this word was for this morning, or whether a peace is for this person, a peace for that person. But I ask you to not restrain yourself, but strongly present those truths for each of us as we individually need them. Through Jesus, amen.